Um, as you know, we've been uh, kind of going through Genesis a little bit, and uh, I've been enjoying, and I hope you as well, lessons from Genesis. Um, we learned in Genesis 1 that uh, God is an amazing creator, powerful, all-encompassing, and literally we can look in the heavens and follow along to see God's actual creations. And we learn that God created humans, top of the food chain, right? Um, top of the food chain, uh, created a little lower than angels. But God, uh, the Apostle, Apostle Paul reminds us, remember not to think too highly of ourselves, but with sober judgment. So what um, simple lessons that we learned from Eden, uh, it's a little small, so I'll read it for you there. Um, we were called to be good soldiers, if we recall from last time, that we have a unique calling, that God called us by name, right? Out of all the creation, out of all the creation, God called Adam and Eve, and actually Adam named Eve, but God called humans <clears throat> for a unique covenant relationship, um, and what is our job? What is our calling to be good soldiers? Remember, God's uh, placed, he took them and placed them, and he had him work in the garden. So our goal is to be good soldiers, to help usher in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> More concretely, we're to usher in the kingdom of God in community, for it was not good for humans to be alone, right? Specifically, we were to, as we learned in Genesis 2, to leave, cleave, and become one. And I want to spend a little more time on that, leave, cleaving, and becoming one. There's one uh, author, has a nice website. <clears throat> if you just type in leave, cleave, and become one, he has a whole uh, marriage ministry dedicated to these three words, leave, cleave, and become one. And he says, most, if not all, couple's problems, he could think, stems from these three words, the inability or imperfection to follow God's commands, to leave, cleave, and become one. <clears throat> well, I'm going to be talking about this in a more general sense, and I would say uh, these principles, leaving, cleaving, and become one, is really our clue into how to get along with our extended families, our friends and families, our, our relationships. It could be <clears throat> a couple's relationship. It could be a parent-child relationship. It could be our neighbor. It could be our work person. It could be the person that we volunteer alongside with. So we're going to be looking a little more specifically at uh, leaving, cleaving, and becoming one. So I entitled this, What Can Maturity Look Like? Okay, what can maturity look like? Initially, I had, I had, what does maturity look like? But that seemed a little all-encompassing, what does maturity look like? So I've kind of picked on two areas that I believe it can look like these two areas, all right? So <clears throat> it's certainly not all-encompassing, but I believe it's very important. Um, more concretely, uh, Let's see. Oh, we're going to go to our video here. So I believe that it is our 
our task to leave, this says, we shall leave our father and mother. And that is to uh, give up our codependencies on other people to become mature. So this is an image of what maturity doesn't look like. Let's take a look at the video. You guys remember this from the Joy Luck Club. She says, I pray to the gods that you are not too ugly or too old. She said, I must have prayed too hard. So this is what maturity doesn't look like, right? I don't think he was ready to leave and cleave. So leaving, the scripture tells us, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. So what does leaving involve? So let's spend some time on that. Well, it goes two ways, right? Parents have to let go, emotional control, financial control, relational control. And uh, the young person, the uh, uh, almost mature adult, needs to let go of codependencies on parents and other people. And that is to is, is encompassed in this term to leave and become independent. Honor and respect our parents? Definitely. Take care of? Yes. But what do us young people want to do? You want to be your own boss. You want to move out and uh, uh, get away from parents. There's a great example in the Bible, right? The prodigal son wanted to do that. Was a prodigal son mature enough to leave? Well, I would say he was not financially independent. What did he do? He asked for his parents' inheritance. I want my inheritance now. And he spent it on uh, wild living. So actually today, I'm gonna, one of my points is I'm going to be talking about two things that they don't teach you in school. All right? How to handle your finances and how to have successful relationships. I don't know if you've heard that. These are the two things that they don't teach you in school. So we're going to talk about how to manage your money. All right? There are many illustrations in the Bible about money. Um, being good with God's resources. The whole idea of the ten talents, where the, the good master distributed talents to three people. One invested it and had a good return, and the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The next one uh, invests his money and has some return, and his response was, well done, good and faithful servant. And the other uh, servant was afraid of the master, remember? and hid the master's money and said, here's your money back because I was afraid of you or something. And uh, uh, the good master says, you could have at least deposited in the bank and earned some interest. Go away, you evil servant. What you have will be taken away. And there's this uh, amazing language of throw him into the fire or something like that, uh, some amazing uh, huge consequences of not being faithful with our resources. So that's not the uh, gist of the lesson, um, the 10 talents, but I want to talk about something very, very practical. And that is to be, to leave, we need to what? Be self-sufficient, find an occupation. Uh, for the Apostle Paul, he was what? A... The Apostle Paul, let's start with Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus made a living. The Apostle Paul, does anybody remember, was a 
tent maker, right. Tent maker. I think at one point he was saying, you know, uh, I'm ministering to you. There's no secondary gain for I supported myself, right? So everyone needs to support themselves financially. Number two, live within your means. And then save for retirement, right? Save for retirement. How many of you guys are retired here, by the way? Show of hands. Maybe I should ask, how many of you are not retired? Two. Three. Maybe four. <laughs> okay. So this is something that impacted me significantly when I was early in college, maybe 21 or 22, and that is how to take care of yourself in retirement by yourself, not having to be dependent on anyone any job, not having to be beholden to an employer, and that is learning the power of compound interest. (laughs) Did you know if you start saving by the age of 20, $16 a day, $16 a day for 10 years, that's it, 10 years, and you don't touch it and you just invest it, by the time you're 65, uh, everybody else's age here, Uh, you'll have over $1 million for retirement, $16 a day. If you start at age 25, it's a little bit less than that, $700,000. But get this, if you waited until you're 35 and save that same $16 a day, not for 10 years, not for 20, but for 30 years, 30 years, three times as long, you'll still have less than if you started when you're 20. And that's what this chart illustrates here. If a person starts at the age of 25, investing about $16 a day, and then they stop, they stop, they'll have more than the person that saves for 30 years. I remember uh, learning about this when I was your age, and it was very abstract because, let's see, 20... 45 years, 45 years from now is a little hard to comprehend, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, right? It's very hard to comprehend these numbers of how much you'll need for retirement. But this is something that impacted my life when I was very young. I think it was from a book called uh, Building Wealth Without Risk. But it's something that I started doing when I started, when did I get out of college? 26 or something like that. And it's something you can do to be independent. Certainly, without that, you could possibly rely on your adult children to take care of you. Maybe. You could rely on a pension or Social Security, which is, as we know, simply a little supplement. But it's something that is uniquely important to become independent and not dependent on other institutions or things. Secondly, I think the other thing that they fail to teach us in school is how to have successful relationships. School teaches us a lot about general knowledge, our bachelor's degree, maybe sciences, whatever your chosen field, you study a technical skill, but they often, Usually, 
There's nothing about how to be a successful person or to be successful in your relationships. So it's fun and exciting to look at Genesis kind of at the original plan, Lessons from Eden. So that little clip of the Joy Luck Club, of that little boy, I don't know, married at age, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, <clears throat> not quite ready, did not leave, not quite ready to cleave to a wife. So after, let's see, let's look at, sometimes it's uh, functional to look at immaturity, what that looks like in scripture. So as we look at Genesis 3, um, I'm going to cover Genesis 3 uh, maybe next week and going forward, but I'm just going to highlight, sometimes it's uh, useful to look at um, maturity, which is described at the end of chapter 2, uh, at the end, uh, therefore a man and woman shall leave, cleave unto a wife, and they shall become one, and they were naked and unashamed. And last time we talked a little bit about that that being naked and unashamed is to be vulnerable, to be real, to be accepted by another. But let's take a look at what immaturity might look like in Genesis. After the temptation of Adam and Eve in chapter 3, oneness was broken. <clears throat> oneness was broken with God, with themselves, and in community with each other. Right, And so briefly, um, God, after uh, they had been tempted with the snake and eating of the forbidden fruit, what did they do? In verse 8 through 10, they, were, they became aware that they were naked, they were afraid, and they started hiding from God. Their relationship with God changed. With themselves, they were afraid and ashamed. And then with the serpent, they blamed the serpent that the serpent deceived, deceived uh, each other. And others, th this is where we start minimizing um, our responsibility and blaming others for our mistakes. Here it says, the woman that you placed here, the woman you put here with me, she gave me this fruit. So here is Adam blaming God. The woman you put here gave me this fruit. And then the woman goes on to blame <clears throat> the serpent. But our, our little chart here, um, this, I don't think this is once in your note, but I'll just read it for you. A person who gets married too early, I think, not by age, but by immaturity, is either too selfish or too dependent if they're immature, too selfish or independent. And I wrote down a few thoughts here that <clears throat> I believe immaturity goes back to God's original Ten Commandments, to not have any gods before me, but that we have false god of self, too selfish, or false gods of other people. That is, we uh, place our allegiance to other false gods. But what it means to be mature is to leave our father and mother, leave them emotionally, leave our codependencies on false gods, learn to place our dependencies on the true God, which the Ten Command one of the Ten Commandments says, have no other gods before me. 
then we can truly cleave in wholeness. In fact, I came up with this little uh, mathematical formula for those of you that like math. There's a formula to relationships. I kind of love, you know, hearing about Albert Einstein and things like that, you know, these physicists that come up with formulas to explain the earth, right? Formulas to explain gravity. Does anybody know what the gravity is for formulas for gravity? Or, okay, what does E equals MC squared mean? The formula for? Huh? Mass? I don't know, I'm asking you. <laughs> is it, wasn't that Albert Einstein's famous uh, equation? E equals, e equals MC squared. Come on, Rachel, what does that mean? Nobody's going to help, help me out here? E equals MC squared. So I came up with a formula for relationships from everything we're talking about because it sums it up to me. <clears throat> if, if people are not whole as in Genesis 2, where they're naked and unashamed, where they're able to leave, cleave, and become one, all right? If wholeness is broken, we're broken people. We are a fraction of the person that we're supposed to be. So I, I, I put in a formula that we're a fraction. So a half times a half equals what? Is it oneness, wholeness? No, a fraction times a fraction equals another fraction. If you apply this to that little boy who got married immaturely or the prodigal son going off to a far-off land, would you like to marry your daughter to the prodigal son in that far-off land? I don't think so, right? A fraction times a fraction is going to be a fractional, fractured marriage relationship. The goal is to be a whole person. Mathematically, a whole number, one times one equals what? One. Aren't we talking about oneness? I thought that was cool. (laughs) A fraction times a fraction, you end up with fractional relationships. The goal is to be whole, a mature person. One times one equals one. The hope of oneness with others. So what did this look like in the Garden of Eden before the temptation of Adam and Eve? They were one in communion with God, with self, and others. And they were naked and they were unashamed. We contrast that a little bit in chapter 3 after the fall where oneness was broken with God, self, and others. So as we look in chapter 3, we could see a little bit more of what the opposite of oneness looks like. When we have brokenness with others, we tend to minimize responsibility and add blame for our mistakes. Isn't that what you do? Every time you see a celebrity court TV, uh... What was that famous uh, trial that everyone saw? Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, right? Did they not minimize responsibility and add blame for all their problems? That's basically what a defense lawyer does, right? Minimize responsibility and blame everything else. 
Blame your present actions based on your whatever, childhood, upbringing, influences, etc. I highlighted that uh, Adam blamed God. This is, this is, uh, this is one, one of the first clues of Adam and Eve's huge consequence to their rebellion, right? So they took the outbill. So they disobeyed a rule. They broke a rule, right? Uh, and here, their sentence is a death sentence, banishment from Eden. But here is a little clue into what's going on with that relationships that we'll get into later <clears throat> is the rebellion of humans, us. Is uh, Adam starts this out with the woman you put here <laughs> with me. She gave, she gave me the fruit. Now, that, I think that sentence says a lot. Uh, that's a huge offense of him blaming God for what happened. <clears throat> but we talked about a half times a half is not a whole and I believe it were, uh, results let's bring this more practically I believe it results in a scarcity mentap, mentality in Genesis after Genesis 3 this is a little clue to what we're, we will be talking about a half times a half is not a whole and it results in a scarcity mentality and a new dystopian existence enters the world of comparison, jealousy, and murder. This sounds like the next season of something on Netflix, doesn't it? But that's chapter three that we'll get into, that drama. But today's message is to not talk about the dystopian future, but to look for clues into what the ideal was in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> you know, we didn't always need a savior or a God to rescue or reconcile us. <clears throat> in fact, in Eden, there was an ideal <clears throat> where we all experienced oneness with God. We didn't hide from God. We didn't, we didn't need to lie. We didn't need to blame. And with ourselves and others, we were naked and we were unashamed. I think there's so much there, so much of a picture of being vulnerable, being real, being authentic with each other, and then having another person accept us for who we are without judgment. I initially titled this, We Had Oneness When We, but those of us that are now present-day reconciled to God Right? There's creation, there's the fall, then there's redemption. I've only been your interim pastor for what, a week and a half. I can't cover creation, fall, and redemption all in two weeks. So we'll save some of that for later. But those of us who have been reconciled, bring it to modern day, those of us that have been reconciled, we have oneness with God. And how does that happen? It starts with humility. starts with humility. Knowing our place in the created order, <clears throat> that we are humans, uniquely called, top of the food chain, created a little lower than angels. Yes, 
But we need to, like Paul said, not to get too full of ourselves. That we were created, made on purpose, for a purpose. And that purpose is to carry out God's will. Where? In community and relationship. <clears throat> now I remember, excuse me, I remember when I was about 10. I didn't know much at being 10 years old, but my mother's apron strings, right? Just hanging around mom all day. But when my grandmother died, <clears throat> um, I guess because I was little, I would always tag along with mom. And, and my mom went to see, view my grandmother's body. <clears throat> she brought me along too, a little 10-year-old. And uh, I remember, I like to use the word, you know, when did I... When did, I, when did my understanding of God come to me? You know, when did God speak to me? I like to say I was discovered <clears throat> by God right about then at, at 10 years old. I remember very distinctly God speaking truth at the situation through my little 10-year-old mind. You know, I had maybe learned Bible stories and whatnot, sitting in the pews and absorbing things. But I remember God's truth coming into my mind like it is now when I prepare messages trying to draw out nuggets of truth. It came to my, my mind just like it does now. <clears throat> and ever since the age of 10, I knew there was truth in the Bible. I knew there was truth. But they, we were called on purpose by name. For me, it kind of happened near the age of Ten. When I saw, uh, <clears throat> if you want to know more about that story, I saw my auntie grieving, my auntie grieving at the past of her mother. I didn't know. I didn't know if I was a Christian at that time, but God's truth and perspective kind of went <clears throat> into my mind and heart, and it uttered words like I am now. But I didn't say it at that time because I was ten. I just thought it in my heart, but that grandma was no longer there. Even though it looked like a finality, but grandma was no longer there. <clears throat> I, God had placed that truth of that we are spirits, and that at the end of this life, that our spirits move on. And there in this reality, it's almost like one of those out-of-body experiences, right, where you see you know, the person's spirit rises up, then they kind of look down in the hospital bed, and there they see people grieving, the... The, the doctors trying to save their life, the respirator, whatnot. They say Lewis with the respirator machine over here. They see a doctor over here. They're doing CPR. It, it was almost like that scene of, of knowing the truth that grandma was not there because grandma was a believer. And it was an amazing thing to be able to, call, to, to uh, uh, know that we were called for a purpose and to... Uh, discovered that we have a covenant relationship with God, that we're not just humans, but we have a spiritual connection with God and to, to uh, uh, the spirit world beyond this, that we're both carnal yet spiritual at the same time. Okay, so how do we do this practically? We've got the lessons from leaving, cleaving, and become one. We need to be mature, wise, take care of ourselves before we could take of care of another person, that whole idea of 
becoming a whole numeral, <laughs> a whole, do they call it an integer? Is that a number? Wow, that's amazing where that came from. You need to be a whole number. One times one equals one. You need to be a whole person. This is how we can leave, become whole, cleave. Now we could be responsible for ourselves, and now we could begin to contribute and take care of another person, connection with another person. We have the hope of oneness, being naked and unashamed, real, authentic, vulnerable, and accepted for who we are. And then finally, wrapping up, in Genesis, we see oneness with God was to be in communication with God, not hiding, but we can see him face to face, not fear God, not hide from God, not to be ashamed from God, but we can experience oneness of self, not ashamed, no need to minimize our faults or blame. We don't have to work on a scarcity economy, but an abundance economy. When people are a fractional people, if there's criticism that comes your way, okay, I'm, I'm bringing this home now, whether in your home, your work situation, uh, volunteer situation, at your social club, when people get criticized, what happens? In a scarcity mentality. It's like Iron Man. <laughs> the defenses come up when people get criticized, right? There's a little bit of criticism. We get, we, our defenses come up. That's a scarcity mentality. It's like a cup being half full. Scarcity mentality. It's like, this is all I have. If I get criticized at all, I got to protect what's there by disassociating, being defensive, lashing out. But when you're, but when you feel whole about yourself, naked and unashamed, you're accepted for who you are. When criticism comes, you just take it as information. Oh, okay, that's new information that we can do things better. I can do things better. We can do things better, especially if you're on a team. So how to bring this home? I'd like to introduce this relational discipleship it, that to move from um, codependence on other our parents, other people, other things, we need to be dependent on God to become whole. It'll keep us from being too selfish from the false god of self or the false gods of other people. And we do this by in community. And we could do this simply by learning how to win and build friends, okay? This is where the rubber meets the road. To leave, cleave, and become one certainly could be a great uh, marriage instruction, couples instruction, but generically, it comes down to how do we relate with other people? How do we win and build friends? To become whole, there's no fear. We don't have to hide. We don't have to be so private and secretive. Oneness we can learn to be naked and unashamed, to know and be known. How do we do this? Here's some practical things. I don't think it's in your notes. <clears throat> Practically, we can, we had to 
learn, invest, and risk to share and care with each other, okay? We need to risk by sharing and caring with each other. Number two, we have to simply ask for confidentiality. This is how we create uh, safety when we share uh, our hopes, dreams, fears, faults, uh, prayer concerns with each other. In a small group setting, I like to use small groups and the church as a wonderful setting because not everybody has this wonderful, perfect marriage or couple situation. Okay, This is the goal. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has a perfect, wonderful, extended family where you could be uh, uh, yourselves and accepted by everyone. But in, in the extended family of the church, God has that ability for us to have brothers, that's, friends that stick closer than a brother. Or to be equal opportunity to have friends that stick closer than a sister, right? You know, they say blood is thicker than water, but to have, to invest in and build relationships within the church is something that's a joy that we can strive to. When I was in charge of small groups, this, these were our group rules. Number one, when you share, is show up, show up and share is rule number one. Number two, maintain strict confidentiality even to one's significant other, which is really hard to do, actually. If you come and share with someone, you come to church, you talk with someone after church, and what they said to you uh, was, <clears throat> was amazing, it was a praise or maybe a, a super concern, it's so easy to go home with your significant other, whoever that is, just to share about your day, Right? And it's easy to break that confidentiality. And unfortunately, that's a plight on immaturity in the church is to be on the gossip chain, okay? Sometimes we call it the prayer chain, okay? Uh, where sometimes our intimate secrets are shared. They're shared in church, and then they're just kind of passed along like gossip, okay? So... We need to be wise in who we're sharing our, our, uh, our heart with. The whole idea is reciprocal disclosure, right? As you learn to trust someone, you share a little bit more, a little bit more. And then as you ask for confidentiality, you realize that um, you grow safety with each other. Um, things are shared at a more deeper level. So number one is to share and care for each other. Number two is to maintain strict confidentiality. Number three, number three is to learn to listen without judgment. Number three is to learn to listen without judgment. In our small groups, we call it no springboarding and no commentary on what someone shares. If you're in a small group and someone shares their personal thought on scripture, their personal uh, life and their life experience, it's important not to judge or add commentary or even springboard. I remember I was running a small group at another church, and uh, it was a 12-step group, and some of these concepts are taken from the 12-step program. And uh, uh, 
uh, of course, me being the leader, I was kind of the enforcer of the rules. And the way they have it <clears throat> is strict confidentiality. They call it no crosstalk, which means no interrupting, okay? No interrupting, um, which also includes no judgment, because if you're not interrupting, you're not, <clears throat> you know, commenting, adding commentary on what was just shared. And I remember I had to kind of enforce the rules on this one guy like several times each meeting, <clears throat> several weeks <clears throat> into the program. And then, and then <clears throat> some guys get really irritated when you put, you know, people, when you put uh, restrictions on them. Some people get upset and they don't like the rules, then they don't show up because they just want to be who they are. But in community, this guy kept coming. And then one week, he said something profound. And it was like, oh, God, there is a God. You know, <laughs> the light of inspiration opens. He says, <clears throat> you know, these rules, uh, they kind of make you, teach you to listen, don't they? <laughs> you know, by not interrupting, not judging, not uh, uh, interrupting, no crosstalk when someone's sharing, he says, well, they kind of teach you to listen, don't they? And we're like, yeah, they kind of do. They kind of do. And that's a huge <clears throat> step in maturity. So with that, I hope I gave you some practical things, a look to scripture of what the ideal is supposed to look like, and hopefully we can apply that with our relationships and hope for oneness with the extended church family. So let's close in prayer. God, we just thank you for uh, family, that we are part of your family of God. You have called us when we were young. You have called us in our life by name. You have called us. God, you have reconciled yourself to us. If we simply humble ourselves and uh, realize our, our faults, our sin nature, and hand that over to you, God, you're a God that uh, is slow to anger and abounding in love. You're the God that runs after the prodigal um, um, and throws your arms around them, sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, and a robe on his back because the prodigal has returned in humility um, in relation to you, the Father. God, we thank you that we are your sons and daughters. And in the extended family of church, God, we have our brothers and sisters. God, as we learn to mature <clears throat> from being fractional people, as we grow to becoming whole people, God, may we continue to mature in being who we are in relation to you so that we can contribute, God, to our brothers and sisters where true oneness and the joy of community can be found. We're, we're vulnerable, real, naked, and unashamed, God, for who we are. In your son's name we pray. Amen.